0: Hello and welcome to My Roots Are Showing with myself, Nadena Regan. This is the podcast where we talk to well-known people about their lives and about what has made them who they are today. Already in the podcast, we've had interviews with the likes of Donald Leeson, Lenny Abramson and Shirley Manson from Garbage. So if you haven't heard those interviews and you want to listen back, you can find the podcast on platforms including Acast, Spotify, iTunes and more. Tonight I'm recording this introduction to the podcast in Dublin ahead of getting ready for a little holiday. And this does tie in with my next guest. One of the things about getting ready for a holiday is the very tough choices you have to make beforehand about what's going to make the cut in terms of the packing, what will get into that suitcase. And when it comes to books, I just find it incredibly tricky. I've never been a Kindle person. And so I've got the physical books and I'm trying to make some pretty tough choices. Uh, if you follow me on Twitter, Instagram, at Nadina Regan, you'll probably already know that I'm a big fan of recent books by the likes of Emily Pine with Notes to Self, Sally Rooney for her two books that she is out. And I also really like the new short story collection from Kristen Rapinian who wrote the, uh, the Viral Smash Cat Person and her new book is called You Know You Want This. Uh, But this time around, uh, going on various recommendations from various people, I am definitely going to be taking with me Camilla Shamsi's Home Fire and Charles Belfort's The Paris Architect. So I will let you know how I get on with them. To be honest, though, if I was going to take a book by any particular author to reread, it would be something from my next guest. For a very long time now, the American author Willie Vallotton has been one of my very favourite writers. I've given so many of my friends copies of his novel, Lean on Pete, which was made into a beautiful film starring Steve Buscemi. And Willie has so many other really fantastic novels, including the likes of uh, Northline and his latest book, Don't Skip Out on Me, which is absolutely heartbreaking. Won't give away the end. But yeah, you will cry. Uh, I think one of the reasons I like him is because he writes in such a straight style and he has so much sympathy for his characters who are often battling through these really harrowing situations. His characters also often suffer from anxiety. Uh, There's Charlie Thompson, who is a lonely young boy in uh, the aforementioned Lean on Pete. Then there's the single mother, Alison, in Northline. Or there's the abandoned, Horace, who's taken in by a foster family in Don't Skip Out On Me. Willie didn't necessarily have the easiest background himself growing up. He was born in Reno He actually lives outside Portland now, um, and his parents were separated. His father lived just a few miles away, but Willie Vloughton didn't particularly know him, and his mother struggled very badly with her nerves. Willie always found a lot of solace in the arts, in music, in reading, and that really shows through in his work. I caught up with Willie when he was in Dublin recently to play a gig with his newish band, The Delines, Willie has always been in bands. He was in a band called Richmond Fontaine for about 20 years, and the Delines have just released their second album, The Imperial. Over the course of the interview, he tells me a little bit about the music, but also, of course, a lot about the fiction. Uh, Before we get to all that, though, and to Willie, Gavin Glass, take it away. Willie and absolutely delighted to have you here. Welcome.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Congratulations to you once more because you're back again in Ireland, uh, this time with a new musical offering rather than a book.
1: Yeah, you know, uh, it is, I, I guess I've been in bands so much of my life um, that I, I the, and I'm uh, naturally a really shy person. So being in a band, the camaraderie is what it's always kept me in the writing, writing songs, but but being in front of people is the thing that's always uh, made me not want to keep being in a band. But I just can't quit. And then the Delines uh, writing kind of country soul ballads is so much fun, and 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 I that I that I really wanted to try it. Um, but yeah, my I guess my first love is novels. But uh, but Jesus, I just can't seem to get out of the van.
0: <laughs> uh, so you played at Liberty Hall in Dublin. And you're going, you're on a kind of a mini tour of Ireland. What is it like these days? Have you become the kind of person who gets your own transport? Have you gotten more fancy as the time has gone mm-hmm. on, <laughs> or is it still pretty basic?
1: No, no you know, I always call Richmond Fontaine and the Delines are are kind of a mom and pop duct tape band, meaning mm-hmm. like you do, uh, we do everything ourselves. Uh, the, the, that's the, the the hardest thing about being in a band at our level is you spend so much time doing stuff that has nothing to do with music. Um, so no, we're living pretty close to the ground. Uh, but I, I got it made right now because I'm only uh, rooming with one guy and he doesn't snore. I got the non-snoring guy in the band, so I, I'm living pretty good. That's that's high living for me. You know?
0: uh, well, the new album, The Imperial, is beautiful. It's very sleepy, um, acoustic led, and Plaintive. It's it's melancholy in places. It's won amazing reviews from the likes of Q magazine and elsewhere. And what struck me immediately was so many of the songs seem story orientated. the The first track there's a track called Cheer Up Charlie, and I wondered if it was a reference to Lean On Pete.
1: No, you know, I, I ran a. I live out in the in the woods, but I and I started going crazy out there. So there's a part of Portland that's closest to where I live uh, called Saint Johns. And I rented a room there because I, I I really did think I was gonna go nuts uh, out in the woods by myself all day. So I sit uh, in this room. It's it's the coolest place. It's like an old detective agency office. It looks like it. And I look over a bar that opens up at uh, eight in the morning. And I watch guys go in and out and drink all day. And I don't have to be there. I can just watch them. Uh, and it came from that. Just there's a guy that you see, that came by. For a couple months, and just drank in the morning. And he he wasn't like an alky uh, when he started coming. He looked like a working class guy that just maybe lost his job. And then then I saw him hanging out with a like a mildly looking prostitute for a while. And um, and that's where that's that song came from. Where you're like, come on, man, get it together. You can't start drinking at eight in the morning. But,
0: Are the stories as important to you as the melodies in the tracks?
1: I. You know, I always, with, with the lines, it's different because I'm so worried because I write the songs for Amy. I, I really want them to be, I mean, I, want them to, I always wanted them to be good, but I felt an extra responsibility because they're hers. And, and
0: Amy's the lead singer.
1: Yeah, she sings all the t- songs. So I'm, I'm really, uh, I always try to write as the best melodies and the, the, the lyrics that she can get behind. But I guess, guess the, the, for the lines, it's the world, both, both melody and story. Obviously, the the story of, of of a song is uh, is really important to me. But but for her, I I try to take extra care with the melody.
0: The Delines had a pretty shocking event um, when you were just getting started. You had finished up more or less with Richmond Fontaine and begun this new band that you were excited about, and then Amy had the most terrible accident. Um, can you tell me a bit about it?
1: Yeah, we we. Re- recorded recorded uh, Colfax, the first record, almost just like an experiment. I've always been a, a fan of Amy's. And then we toured, and people liked the record. It was really fun. It was really shockingly great that people liked the band. And then Richard Fontaine had one more record and, to tour, and so we were touring, and then we got a call and uh, that Amy had been uh, uh, hit uh, in a parking lot by a car and, and, and kind of rammed into a wall.
0: And what actually happened was... Astonishing! It's like your worst nightmare in terms of the, the, the driver as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, a driver, I think, uh, was driving with a cast and got her foot caught on the gas pedal. And anyway, Amy got really injured and um, spent almost three years trying to recuperate. I mean, she couldn't walk, uh, had nine major surgeries. So it's been really rough on her. I mean, we were also worried about her because she's, she's one of the coolest, funniest, nicest people you'll ever meet. And to think of her in that amount of pain was awful. And then, you know, after two years, you're like, oh, you know, we had recorded some of the Imperial before, most of it, actually. So that was the only thing that kind of kept us going. And then we just kept hoping that when she pulled out of uh, her recovery or, you know, saw the light at the end of the tunnel, that she'd still want to be in the band. And, And luckily for us, she did.
0: In your book, The Free, you wrote a little bit about the, I suppose, the the system in the States and the system of health care in the States, and you wrote very powerfully about that. Was it a case of almost real life imitating art when you saw everything that Amy went
1: through? I mean, it's just really common. Um, it's it's really expensive for an a, a, a artist, someone that's not if the, if you're lucky enough to have a job that has benefits, it's not so bad. Um, but if you work for yourself, like I work for myself, and you know I pay uh, $650 a month just for health for uh, minimal health care, so that's a that's like a second mortgage, you know. Um, and so for Amy, you know, she didn't have insurance because I mean, like I said, it's really expensive. So for if you're destitute. Uh, you can get good health care in the United States, mm-hmm. and if you're rich, you obviously get good health care. but if you're uh, lower middle class middle class man you you gotta and you work for yourself, it's tough mm-hmm. um so yeah it's uh, it's just a, it's a, a an an increasingly bad problem in the United States that that no one seems to be able to control or or wanna solve
0: well, you've always documented. I suppose hard times in in your fiction and I suppose indirectly a, a lot of the time in your songs. But take me back to I suppose your early days. What was it like in your house growing up? You grew up in Reno, right?
1: Yeah, I grew up uh in Reno, Nevada, which is a um which when I was growing up was a casino town. I mean, they made most of their money on casinos, I guess. It's really beautiful. It's on the foothills of the Sierra Mountains, one of the most beautiful mountain ranges. And then Ten, ten miles in one direction, you, got, you could be in the middle of the woods, and this is Sierras, and the ten miles another way, you're in the desert. So it, it's breathtakingly beautiful. Uh, you know, the town itself, the casino town, uh, you know, my mom hated casinos. I, I lived with my mom and my brother. But by about 16, I've, I fell in love with that, the, the darker sides of, of Reno. I was, always, I was always drawn to the, to the more, uh, you know, the bars never close. It's 24-hour drinking.
0: So did you start drinking young?
1: Yeah, I sort of I didn't I was worried about it cuz my family were all big drinkers and I and I knew the traps of it, you know, even even at 16, 17 I did, but but you know I was just, I was so shy as a kid, I could barely even go to school. So uh once you have a couple beers and you're like, "Oh my god, all that goes away." And so it becomes a great ally and and friend and then it's the friend that starts like saying bad stuff to you and it's the friend that might punch you in the guts once in a while and then you're not sure it's really a friend and you're you know you wake up and you're like 45 leaning on the same crutch that you've been leaning on since you were 17 um but yeah you know I always I always thought uh I mean I always just really did think I'd be a bum um that I would fail in life so being in Reno and seeing all these men that were Drifters. It was. It wasn't homeless like it is now, and and like in Portland and so much of the big cities in the states have homeless problems. These guys were like drifters that lived in motels. That they could still make some money, but had just like given up. And I, I, you know, there was literally hundreds of them every day. You'd see different kind of like weary looking men, and I just thought, Jesus, that's going to be me. So I might as well hang out with them and see what it's like.
0: Were you kind of melancholic as a kid? <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, maybe that's why I was drawing. You know, obviously, I, I, I mean, I don't have any really natural talents in, in, in art. Oh,
0: come in, on, no,
1: but like in arts, I, I really don't. I just, uh, you know, no one. Uh, I mean, I want I'm, I'm not a great musician, uh, but I just, I, I think, I just was so needed uh, the comfort of songs, comfort of movies, comfort of books, and I really bought into it. I really bought into. The power of disappearing into a song. I mean, it was like you could go buy a record, and then all of a sudden, you're in a different world for a little bit. And it was so uh, relieving and, and, and addictive, and so it saved my life, really.
0: Who were you we listening to? Oh,
1: you know, you know, as a kid, you listen to everybody. And I've never been like a purist, you know. Like, like I, you know, as a kid, I I I listened to Kate Bush a lot. You know, she was my secret like uh, girlfriend.
0: Which particular tracks?
1: The Dreamin'. that record, The Dreamin', I think, and I still do. I think it's a brilliant, brilliant record, and that's my favorite one of hers because it's it shows how smart she was and wild and just like fearless, but also like as a kid. And even now, you can just disappear. Like it's a it's a series of dreams, so it's a series of different worlds. And so here I'm in my my house in in, in Reno, and I've never been anywhere. I don't know any places she's talking about, but I can picture them. And for that little bit of time. I'm not in my house. I'm I'm with Kate Bush, and you know, uh, so even at his young age, I, I really bought into it. As I got older, I I I started struggling with well, how you know you can't. I always say the same thing, but it's true. Like you can't eat the records to get closer to them. You can't you can't hug them at night. I mean that doesn't work. So you're like, wow, shit. I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to join them. I'm gonna have to start uh, being in a band myself. And so you know, like my brother was a, a folk. Uh, songwriter in high school and so uh and I you know I did everything he did and so by like twelve uh I was writing songs you know and I foolishly just never never quit you know. You'll find them in the, road. the light in the morning
0: So Kate Bush, maybe not the most obvious influence for Willie Vallotton <laughs> and Richmond Fontaine, but certainly a phenomenal artist. Who else were you listening to? Because I, I don't think you could have come out musically with such strong <laughs> country <laughs> roots no, and influences yeah. uh, if you were just listening to Kate Bush.
1: No, you know, I, I was just trying to say, like, I listen to anything. <laughs> you know what I mean? I listen to
0: Good taste, though.
1: Um, yeah, I do think she's brilliant, but yeah, I listened to uh, I was you know, I've always tried to go down any vein that looks I, I told myself early on, never to belittle or uh, criticize any music just to see if you like it, and if you like it, you're lucky. Like if you like Muzak, you're lucky because you like something. So I've never, never mad at myself if I, if I like uh, like hair metal. If I go through that phase, then that's great that I actually like it.
0: Uh, but what type of hair metal?
1: <laughs> Me That was just I was just using an example I haven't gotten there yet But I'm not I'm not on the but I haven't gotten there My the bandmate Freddie Trujillo mm-hmm. He knows everything About metal And so Last night it, We were listening to Slade You know And Sweet mm-hmm. And, and I never heard I mean I just didn't I mean that's just Not where I was at mm-hmm. Okay so My personal influences uh, Were There was a band In the US called X mm-hmm. And it was A husband and wife And they wrote uh, Kind of punk rock but kind of folk lyric influenced not musically until later on they got more kind of country but uh they were a really important band in the u.s and 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 i bought into them hook line and sinker in los angeles uh my brother moved when i was 13 my brother moved to los angeles and all these kind of cow punk bands started bands like rank and file and los lobos and the blasters um, Green on Red, uh, the Long Riders, all these kind of cowpunk bands. Um, g- my brother started sending me these records home, and the thing is, is I grew up uh, around country music, but all the guys that I knew and grew up with it like country music were, were rednecks, and I never been that way, so I affiliated country music with the guys that that, that beat up people and are close minded, so when these punk rockers started taking back country music you know and i'm just a, a dumb kid so when i saw like oh no it's not just like you don't have to be a redneck to like this music mm. that you could be you and like this music then i fell madly in love with it at like 13 14 and it also fit the way uh, my limitations and and i was always drawn to stories and then and then folk stories uh you know storytelling um they go hand in hand so, um, so you know, I started, all my bands have been the same. I've been doing the same kind of cow punky thing uh, since, you know, I was like 14.
0: And how did it come out in you, though, at the time when you started listening to those artists and those bands? Did you start wearing the T-shirts? Did you start going to the gigs? You know, did you change?
1: You know, I never, yeah, you know, I did. I I used to steal, I, I feel really bad about this, but I used to, my mom had a VW Bug, 1972 VW Bug, and she'd get off work and I'd always say, hey, mom, uh, uh, this friend of mine lived out in the country. I go, can I can I take your car to go stay the night at him? And she'd go, bring it back by six, because I got to go to work. And I go, okay. And I would get her car by like four and I drive all the way to San Francisco, which is like in a VW bug. You got to go over the Sierra Mountains. I would be like five hours, and so I'd get there just in time to see some band, because San Francisco had the great bands. And then I'd have to drive all the way home, and and then drop her car. I'd get in there about like five thirty, mm-hmm. you know, and then give her a car. So I always liked it, but I never was. I never joined up with it. Like I was too always maybe I was too melancholy, to be a punk rocker. And you know, when your mom's a Works the same job uh, for 30 years and, like, uh, is just trying to keep keep it together and keep the house going. Um, there was nothing to rebel. You can't rebel against someone that's just busting their ass trying to save you.
0: Well, you, you've mentioned, I mean, you were really shy and your mom was a single mom. Your dad lived only a few miles away, right? Yeah. But you didn't really see him. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And... The experience of that, of being shy and nervy, sometimes it seems to me reading your books, whether it's the experience of Charlie Thompson and Lean on Pete or Alison in the book Northline, these are characters who seem like life has really, really cut them a very hard deal. And obviously in Don't Skibet and Me as well, um, there's that feeling the whole way through it of a character who thinks that, they're not good enough or that they won't be able to succeed at life and is there sort of an element of emotional autobiography in that
1: yeah of course i mean i think i've always been interested in people that have gotten run over and run over but they still get up and then then they battle they get they get up and they don't give up uh i most people don't i mean most people get run over all the time emotionally or you know, uh, uh, and they get up every day and keep trying. And then then there becomes a thing where you try not to beat up yourself, and not to self-sabotage yourself. Um,
0: but did you feel as badly as, as sometimes they seem to feel in the uh, books?
1: I mean, uh, you know, like, say, North Line, it's, it's very polarized. It's very big, dramatic things happen to this woman. Um, but, yeah, the heart of them, sure. I mean, part, part of writing, I never wrote for, to show people. I wrote uh, f- To Get Away. Uh, and and, and so, you, so I asked myself, like, well, why would you write such sad stories if, if you're, you know, why not write a fantasy novel where you go out with Kate Bush, you know? Because uh, uh, that, that's, <laughs> might as well. Right?
0: Write that, for sure. Yeah. And, and I don't you know if it would be very of a piece with the rest of your work, though. No, but,
1: but just, like, why not be a rich guy and, like, you know, have an island of your own? so why write those kind of stories i mean that's the power of story daydreaming to get yourself out of get out of your, your life you know i i live my life in daydreams um and it's been a curse uh, you know i'm getting lucky cuz you know i can i can do it f- for a living but i mean i just use it as a crutch um, so when i started writing stories um i think i was i'd always thought about uh it is like you have all... Your demons in a box or your fears, and you pull, pull one out and look at it from every angle, uh, up and down and on every side, hoping that you can conquer it or put it to bed. And so I would write a story around that kind of stuff, hoping it would help. And also, I think, like if you're, wor- if you're, if you're worried about things, and you, say you were, you're worried about uh, your home life, and then with Charlie Thompson, his home life really falls apart. So the anxiety of your own life disappears when you're writing because you're with a kid that's actually going through it. And then you can kind of, even though you beat him up along the way, um, you can kind of hold his hand and you're like, look, man, you're not alone. I'll be with you and we'll get you through this kind of thing. So uh, it's a crazy thing to do, but, uh, um, but that, that's kind of the, 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 the way I, I write. I, I've always tried to write to keep... The, the demons uh, not at bay but to, to get try to get rid of them um yeah.
0: well because sometimes reading your work i've wondered if it um if the characters who feel so anxiety stricken if they tap into your own feelings at times or actually if you were maybe channeling say your mom who i know had quite a tough life
1: like with i mean i think you're talking about north line uh you know, that was a combination of my grandmother and my mother and myself. Um, you know, no, I never, uh, you know, uh, it was my own struggles with it. Uh, I, I was interested in that book and the difference how anxiety or, or lack of self-confidence um, is different. How, how you deal with it and how it shows itself are, are different between men and women. Um, I mean, I was raised by women. All the great people in my life have been women, um, and I've seen the women in my life be under the thumb of men. I've seen them put themselves under the thumb of men that didn't want the the men didn't really want that. Uh, um, so, and I've seen you know really anxiety ridden women that still get up every morning and go to work and have to deal with sexism and you know. I mean, my mom was like that, and she watched her get through. And there's a great heroic to that but also it's difficult to live with somebody like that uh so north line was all about that but uh, the brunt of it was just me really
0: yeah another influence you've you've mentioned a few times uh is somebody maybe i didn't expect just because he was so far away from you but roddy doyle and you've mentioned the woman who walked into doors as being quite an important book for you
1: yeah i mean i i, I it was funny because um I've given it to everybody in the band. I give it. I, I every time I see it in the used bookshop, I buy it. I just think it's. Uh, it's it again shows the um, both sides of like a, how somebody gets in an abusive relationship, how they stay there, and how it's not horrific all the time, um, but it takes a toll every day. So you can still be that part of you that's funny and light. It just gets battered the more time you're there, and it gets more murky and muddy and it gets more confusing and I thought he really did well with that aspect of it. It's not just oh, poor me, it's like you're still you, but you're just getting you just get stuck and you get tainted and watered down. And um so you know, I my grandmother was a, a English teacher and she was a really sweet lady who struggled really hard with anxiety. Um I mean really hard. She was a really cool person to me. But I one of the nicest people that I met. I uh, know everybody talks about their grandmother like that, but uh, she really helped me out. And she would, uh, she turned me on to books, and she gave me. She goes, "I bet you'd like this guy Roddy Dooley wrote a book called *The Commitments*, and she mailed it to me. And I've been a fan ever since, you know, because I just, you know, he's the kind of guy with that book. You just pick it up, and the next thing you know, you've read a book. It, you're done, and it's fun. And then all the way through, and then, and then when you like uh, Patty Clark, ha ha ha, and a woman walked into doors. Uh, they just start ripping your head off because they it hits it hits, it obviously hit a nerve with me. Um, so I've always been a great admirer of him um, for the way he can talk about really serious things, make you laugh at the same time, and they're really concise. Uh, working class guy I could read them after work. You could read them on the bus. You could read them. Uh, anywhere and and get what he's trying to say, and I always uh, that was what I always wanted to do in books. I didn't I didn't want to uh, make it too challenging so a guy would turn on TV that way. I wanted to challenge him emotionally, but uh, I wanted it to be the kind of book a guy could read on break from work and actually really get into it. Uh, so Roddy doo was a huge huge influence.
0: Is it kind of cool that he's a fan of yours now too?
1: You know, uh, yeah, I mean, it's relieving, you know, it's really lucky, you know, it makes me feel good. Uh, I called my wife yesterday uh, because he came to our gig and I was just like so excited that he did. Uh, Yeah, you know, you never think of that stuff. It's so fun and lucky. Before I, you know, I was 35 before I even met a real writer. Besides, like going up to a in a bookstore and going, man, I really love your stuff, you know. But like to have a a conversation with a real writer, I mean, I just didn't, you know, before I just didn't know anybody, and uh, and uh, and I was really shy. So yeah, meeting. And he turns out he's a really cool guy. So that helps. <laughs> that helps.
0: Yeah, he's such a cool guy. Um, but it's it's one of those things, I guess. Like you come to writing through reading. Like you read people that inspired you and then you started telling these stories. In a way, that's not how people do it these days. They often go to creative writing programs and there's a very structured road to becoming a novelist in the States. What do you think of that road?
1: I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think it can save you time. It depends, I guess, if how thick a skin you have and how nice the people are in, in the class. I mean, it's, it seems crazy to to blow a bunch of money to write stories when really, uh, I mean, I think teachers can really save time, save you time. But also, really, sometimes I just want to say, well, just go write a bunch of bad stories and read a bunch of good novels and then see where where you land. I mean, for me, I guess I was about 18. um, And uh, when I was like a, a little bit younger than that, I saw a movie called Repo Man. And Repo Man, I mean, it's kind of a cult classic American punk rock movie, really. But there was a character named Bud in it by Harry Dean Stanton, and he's like a he was like a really bad father figure. And I always loved movies with father father figures, um, because I because I could disappear into him, they'd become my dad. So for a while, you know, I, Harry Dean Stanton became my father in my head, and it was really fun. So I just. About a year goes by and I go, well, I want to, I want to live inside that world, so I, I just go, well, I'm going to just write it. I mean, you know, how can like you start running out of uh, movies and books that that are actually exactly where you want to go? So, so I I, I go, well, I'll, I'll write a story about uh, a, a, a uncle and his his uh, nephew live on a, in a wrecking yard and they work three hours a day and they live in side by side trailers and then they just drink beer and barbecue all day. And then go, Jesus, that's because that's where I—that's my fantasy of all. It still kind of is actually, um, and uh, and then by page thirty or forty, the uh, the uncle starts having the kid steal cars, and he starts manipulating the kid to do this like illegal things, and it killed me because I didn't know that was in me. I was a pretty naive kid, and I didn't know that I was like, well, why would he do that? Like it started like the the the, the concrete on my back started like you know weighing me down I guess and uh and that's when I realized uh oh like oh no like I got I you know I'm uh, I got darkness in me and I knew it but I just didn't want to deal with it and then writing the stories uh you know like I, like I said I started as a fantasy and I, I and then and then the story just opened up and I got addicted to the, the craft of it. And I, and I was like, Jesus, I just want to write one good one before, you know, I want to walk my right. The woman who walked into doors, you know, I, I, I want to write one good one. And I've been chasing that ever since.
0: How much of it is plotted, though? Because with your books, they feel very effortless. They flow really beautifully and the developments seem very organic. Um, but when you start a book, do you know how it's going to end?
1: You, usually, I can tell. Like, what I hope to do is the to I'll know the feel of it, like I, you know how a melancholy song makes you feel, like a, a certain song just it, 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 it like paints you in a feeling. I always try to think about that one before I start. Like, I want the book to feel like this, and then over say over a, a drink, so ten minutes or something, I could tell you the whole story from start to finish. Mm-hmm. I usually start there, and then and then. It'll all change and move around and all the little stuff, I don't know. But I'll know like the general, you know, like the the the, the pop song version of it, the three minute and <laughs> 50 second version, I'll know.
0: And are you superstitious at all about telling people what the book is? Because a lot of writers, when I'm interviewing them and I say, oh, you're working on a new book, what's it about? And they're like, no, 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 no. They yeah. don't want to talk about it.
1: No, man, I have, a, I have an old, like a friend of mine I've known for, 35 years or something and uh, I—he he's a drinking buddy of mine and he's one of those guys that always uh, talks before he thinks mm-hmm. and so I'll t- always tell him. I'll just go, like I'm writing on this one he goes, that sounds horrible. Like, and, th- and I'll have to, the fun thing is I have to argue my, like he doesn't know and he's yeah. hes probably not even really listening. Yeah. He's one of those guys that never really yeah. listens to. He tells you, <laughs> he's a really great guy but it, but it's charming because he kind of listens but he's really opinionated mm-hmm. but he doesn't really listen to what he's opinionated about. So, I'll have to argue, I'll just have to argue my point. You know, go, "Well, I wouldn't believe that." And then and then you have to argue and it's really fun cuz then it makes me get to the next level just with like and I sometimes he's right, sometimes i go, like, "Oh, yeah, 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 you're
0: right." So, you're actually using him as a, <laughs> a little way of almost like a punching bag in a in a gym to make your own arguments so, or narrative stronger. you'll
1: get into it and he doesn't he's not like well you're the writer he'll just be like no nah, man that just wouldn't happen that way. <laughs> and he does it the way like i'll give him the book and he'll go and i won't hear from him for two months you know mm-hmm. and when i was younger before he was one of the only guys i ever showed my not you know i wrote novels for 15 years before i even showed anybody really uh but i'd show him and 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 he would you know and I, i'd call him after like two months and i'd never bring it up when we were going out or whatever and i'd finally freak out and i'd go did you read it man what's going on he'd go oh yeah your novel yeah yeah and it got kind of boring and and I go well just tell me what (laughs) what page did it get boring on and he'd go and he'd look and then he'd go page 73 I quit because I I bent the page and and I and then I'd go back and around 65 it would start like I just I hit a bad spot and uh, and I go of course he he gave it five six more pages and he's like man this guy you know so so he was, you know, maybe the MFA uh, people instead of, they could just give him the money and then <laughs> they'd probably do just as good.
0: Um, well, he sounds amazing uh, yeah, fun, and yeah. a tough critic. Uh, do you read the reviews?
1: No, you know, I do. The band, I read like with this, the lines, I've read, been reading them because cause I was just so I really wanted the band to survive and, and it's hard to survive if, um, at our age if... People aren't liking it, you know. Like when with Fontaine, you're just like, ah, you know, we ha- we liked ourselves, so you just keep going. But with Amy, you know, we have to travel. It costs more money. Um, you wanted to do good, so I read some of the reviews and then I quit. Like if if they start coming out good, I do. Uh, then I quit reading them. Um, but for my personal stuff, no, man. My brother reads them, and he sends them to me because I'm really like I like I said, I like writing them. Um, publishing them, I just. Publishing them was—you get to that stage where you just want to have them in a library. You—you you, I got—I got swayed by the idea of them being with all the other books, and wanting to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. So that, but besides that, publishing is kind of like I don't really like it because uh, I like writing them, and I don't want to feel bad about myself uh, for for not being good at it. So no. So when the reviews come out, uh, my brother will tell me, no, no, people generally like it. You'll be okay." And um and he'll send me the really good ones, but I don't, cause a guy I forget who told me this, but he said reviews uh uh they make you the good ones make you feel good in a way that's not real, it's not really real, and then when they make you feel bad, it's not a real bad, like you haven't done anything bad, but you feel horrible. So what's the point? So uh you know my my hope is just to keep keep making them and not beat myself up too much, or you know and you know. it's foolish to get a big head about any of this stuff. uh, But you just kind of want to be left alone and not get beat up too much. Uh,
0: It's maybe slightly different, though, when it comes to having your work made into films, as you have done on a number of occasions, but most recently with Lean on Pete, which had uh, Steve Buscemi and Chloe... um, Sivigné. I watched the film, and I thought it was very beautifully done, It must have been strange for you, I thought, though, to see those characters, the character of Charlie, this young boy who's more or less left to fend for himself and who finds solace in this old quarter horse called Lean on Pete, to see those, the character of Charlie, his father, up there large on the screen. Um, I suppose, first off, how much did you have to do with the film?
1: Now, you know, Andrew Haig, who's a really great director, he he came out early on um, to to just meet me and and I showed him the track and, and introduced him to uh, some jockeys and some people that worked um, at the track and showed kind of showed him around. That's really it. He's a um, he's a writer director, which I wanted anyway. Um, so I just left him alone. You know, uh, it's just fun. And with that, I I figured you can't have it both ways. You can't not be involved and then be a critic. Um, uh, so I didn't want to be involved because I didn't want to have to live inside a story that I had already moved on from. Um, uh, I was done with that novel when I finished it, uh, and I wanted to move my head out of that area. So I didn't want to go back and then I have to argue about it with other people. Um, so I, I told myself early on I wouldn't get involved in movie stuff. So I just try to approach it like this is really fun and really lucky. And um and I hope it does well for him because he has a lot more to lose than I do over it, so that's what I did. I just went down. I didn't uh, uh, bother them too much, you know. But you know, I got to meet Stevie Shami, you know, and uh and I got to, you know, it's really hard to get on the backside of the track, um for a non-affiliated guy. So I got to like disappear, like I would just disappear and see all the places mm-hmm. behind the track that I always wanted to see. So on that level it, it was just really fun. It was just it was a you know it's a it's just a it's it's a laugh, you know, it's just easy fun.
0: So you're not going to give me an out of 5 stars review for the film version of Lean on Pete?
1: No, I did. I thought it was really beautiful. I thought it was really beautiful. I mean the only things I ever get hung up uh, on movies is I'd go, "Oh, he wouldn't wear those shoes," you know. I get caught up, really caught up in that. You
0: story. didn't think the that- Boots they gave him. Yeah. He would have worn no, those. I think
1: he would have worn that, but uh,
0: they're pretty striking.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, he was cool looking. I always thought, like, man, like that, that kid's a little too good looking, but he really can act, you know. Um, uh, no, I thought it was really. Be- I thought it was a really beautiful movie. So,
0: who would you like to play you in the film version of your life?
1: Jesus, Harry Dean Stanton, <laughs> but he's too good looking, man. You know. Uh, um, yeah. And but we'd have to resurrect him.
0: True. I suppose, though, you know, we've spoken a little bit about your musical influences, but what about, um, you know, the films and the, the, the books that you're currently reading, things you're currently into? Because a, an awful lot of your creative work seems informed by um, your past, maybe as a teenager. But these days, are you, you know, sparking off? Any new writers, or are there any new films, or works, or or musicians that you're really excited by?
1: I mean, I always uh, uh um, you I mean I'm all, you know. You're always reading novels. I love. I, I mean, I, I just adore. I believe in the novel is the uh, for me personally, it's the greatest art form, and it's the most um, it can really help help you out if you're struggling. If you can find the the biggest problem with the novel is 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 finding the right one for you. Mm -hmm. It's really hard to give people novels because you don't really know what's inside somebody's heart. Like Mm -hmm. somebody's favorite novel might have nothing to do with what you think they would be. Uh, I guess this morning, Lucia Berlin. She was a writer, uh, American writer. She lived all over, but lived a lot of her life in Oakland, California. Manual for Cleaning Women is a collection of her short stories. Oh I have
0: heard about that. I haven't read it though. Oh it's
1: it's brilliant. And it, you know it was such a male oriented I don't know what that would be 80s 80s 90s um with guys like Tobias Wolff and Richard Ford and Raymond Carver and I kind of grew up reading those guys. She was like a woman counterpoint to the in in that world and she was brilliant and just kind of never saw the light of day and they came out with a great collection of hers, that would be the book I'd recommend because it's like a really great kind of working-class woman that wrote brilliantly but never really got her day in the sun. I I don't know. She passed away. I don't know when exactly. But but that collection's amazing. So, uh, you know, I mean, there's always great books. The problem with books is they take, you know, that you can't read. It's not like records where you can just go nuts on them. I guess musically, well, I just, we just got in a huge conversation, me and a buddy about Kamasi Washington. Mm. Yeah. So I've been listening, cause his new record came out and I got it for Christmas. So I've been listening to that nonstop, you know, and I just been, I've been listening to a lot of like so, uh, Candy Staten again. I listened to a lot of her.
0: Not the newest artist, but a classic.
1: Yeah. You know, writing for Amy, I'm trying to write like big country soul ballads, so I listened to that Oh,
0: so it's kind of inspiration a little bit oh, for Oh, yeah, you. yeah.
1: Yeah, Candy's like, I, f- I flew down to Berkeley to see her. Um, I've
0: never seen her, I heard she's amazing
1: live. She was great, I don't know how old she is, she's probably in her 70s, I would guess. Mm. And so I went down, and I was a super fan, and I went down and I was, I was a friend of mine, and I was like, well, we better get there, at, like, the door's open at 8, so let's get there at like 7.45, and my friend's just like shaking his head, all right, all right because I thought I would sell out, you know, and I had tickets, but I just want, you know, and there was only 75 people came, you are know, like, but it's candy, but, and that, that's a cool thing about art is like, she, she's, to me, she's like, she should be playing like Wembley mm-hmm. or some big place and then, but that's because that's who she is in my head, um, um, but yeah, she was wonderful and it was great.
0: You just never know, though. Some people get the marketing and, and mm-hmm. have the major label at a particular point in their career. Mm. And then other people whose music can be just as iconic, but maybe didn't capture the, the popular imagination in the same way by virtue of lack of spend in that sense. Yeah. Uh, then when they come back around, they get smaller audiences. Um, but certainly in Dublin, I know she's always been really well received. So yeah. Uh, yeah, it's one of those things. I mean, do you think Ireland generally is actually pretty good? Because I know you've been really well received here and it's actually lovely. I love walking into Hodges Figgis and seeing how prominently your, your books are displayed. Like Lean on Pete is, and Don't Skip Out on Me are like just behind the cash register in Hodges Figgis. And it must be amazing for you as the author sometimes to walk into a Dublin bookshop and go, there I am.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's the luckiest thing. You know, I take I p- take pictures of it because um, I can't Dude. believe it. Oh, Jesus, yeah. I mean, it's really lucky. You know, it's really, really lucky. Um, and it's really fun because you're also like, you're like, oh, you know. Because I look at my books like uh, they're friends of mine. Whether people like them or not, I don't know. But but I really like them. I really, the, not in a way like that. I'm like, oh, I think I'm a great writer or anything. Nothing like that. It's more like, um. I really care about them. They're like friends of mine, and I always think of books as like, it's like sending your pal out in a in a rowboat into the Pacific Ocean and saying like, "Good luck, man," and you know you try to give them water and food. <laughs> you try to give them what they'll be, but the, but still you push them out into yeah. to this big world where you know they're going to get either eaten, swallowed, and disappear, and no one will care. Um so you want so when if if people like them or, or 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 you see them somewhere you're like oh my friends all right I remember I saw them in uh my novels in city lights books in San Francisco They had all my books in the in the in the on the shelves and I started crying and I I called my brother and I was like you know Jesus they they have they have my books in city lights you know and uh it was really it's just it's just lucky it's really fun it's really fun you know
0: well, lucky is one word for it, but I uh, not enough. if a lot of other people would say that it is talent, but I won't keep it too much longer. Um, I did actually just want to ask a little bit because obviously this podcast, My Roots Are Showing, is very much about people's influences and inspirations. Um, and to me, it always seems like place is very important to you because Reno kind of comes in a lot. And the, also just the feeling of, I suppose, your books do feel very much written from the perspective of working-class America as distinct from middle-class America. Um, So that sense feels very important to me as a reader. Um, Is it very kind of consciously done on your part?
1: Well, like I was saying earlier, as a kid, location meant so much to me because I could disappear um, out of my house, and out, out of my room, out of my house, out of where I lived, out of my life just by putting on a record or just by disappearing into a book I got a break from being me uh, so I wanted to do the same thing I wanted to create a world and uh, I mean I I got lucky in the fact that uh, I was born to the right town I love I mean I love Nevada and, and um, it's it's the most beautiful place Uh, so I, the location was easy because I just because it was that's where I wanted to disappear to the working class stuff I mean I think a couple of things uh, you know, as a kid, I, I read uh, six uh, John Steinbeck novels that were assigned to me in high school. So John Steinbeck, for whatever reason, was really popular at that time in my high school. So at a really susceptible age, I'm, I've read all these working class stuff. Uh, I, I listened to the jam and the clash, and my mom struggled, uh, you know, working every—and and I mean, I I heard about it. She told me about it every day, about how hard it was, and— she was not shy about it, so I lived in that kind of world, and so I and I'd always wanted to write novels about the people around me because because um, I figured uh everyone deserves to be a hero in a story or 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 they're just important. So working class fiction. Um, was all I ever wanted to read and it's all uh, I ever wanted to write. And, and sadly, my life's never really changed. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I I probably make as much money as I did when I worked in a warehouse, you know.
0: Actually, we were talking about that recently. It's become kind of something of a national conversation at the moment in Ireland about, you know, people don't seem to really understand how little money artists make and how much underneath kind of the middle class income it usually is it's usually like two-thirds if they're doing well um because i think people see the big book deals and they see the the, the huge successes mm-hmm. so like do people sometimes have a misapprehension maybe of what it's really like
1: yeah i mean it's rough to make make money as an artist inconsistent money you know the the problem with writing a book is like it's uh it's like speculative mining, you know, you don't know you might spend three years in a in a in a hole looking for for something that for some money that you know, so you write this book and three years later you show it to somebody and they're like, Well, I liked it, but it's not right for us. What else you got? And you're like, But but I was just I, I it just took I I don't understand. It took me three years and so uh I don't you know, I don't worry about that stuff. I I got into being a band because I love the camaraderie and of it and i loved being i loved just saying i was in a band and i I, all i ever wanted to be was on a flyer so i never thought i mean i never thought uh, i would be a rock star or any of that i don't uh, i never i could it it was never going to happen i knew it and you know and 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 that's it um and and the money wise i just was always like i'm never going to make any money so i better figure out how to make money so I never really worried about it because I figured uh, I, ha- I would always have to have a job or whatever. So I- I've always just, w- you know, you just figure it out. It's not that that bad.
0: A lot of people say the writing is its own reward in some senses. Um, do you get enormous satisfaction just from the act of sitting down and writing?
1: Well, when you can, d- you know, it is like, it's like being a drug addict, really. Uh, uh, I don't know if it's a healthy thing at all. Uh, um uh, you know, you you can talk about issues you think are important, and and hopefully, or you can maybe ease somebody's mind or make somebody feel less lonely. Um, that's the benefit. But I mean, really, it's just for me. It's like I, uh, it's I, it's it's a craft, sure. But I, I can disappear. I can disappear, and 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 although I write about difficult things, it eases my mind to do so. So yeah, I like the 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 actual. Art of it is really' it's really fun i mean it's 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 you know if you ask me like you could you know you can go to Greece f- for a month and just relax or you can sit in a, in some uh, weird hotel and just write stories and and i'd I'd rather just sit in a weird hotel and write stories you know it's like a i I just like doing it, yeah
0: well, Willie Lawton, thank you so much again for coming in today uh, for my Rita showing I think we'll uh, have a little listen to a flavour of the new album from the Delines, Lines uh, The Imperial uh, just to play us out really thank you
1: Oh, thanks for having me sorry for yourself
0: Taken from their second album, The Imperial, currently on release, that was The Delines with Cheer Up Charlie. And that is it for another episode of My Roots Are Showing. My thanks to Willie Veloton If you'd like to see who I'll have on the podcast next, or indeed if you'd like to see what I'm up to generally, you can follow me via Twitter or Instagram. I'm at @Madine_O'Regan. O'Regan. Till next time, do take care. My
1: roots are sure.